Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play.
every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Ah, but joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 113 is... Welcome back, Brian Edwards. Hello. A.K.A. Angry Zeus Gaming. <laughs> Never going to live that one down. Did we establish how that came about on yeah, the previous visit? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. My gamer tag that Xbox uh, Live gave me originally on the Xbox 360. That's right. It's all kinda... coming flooding back. I think <laughs> I did. I genuinely did smack my head in August uh, on a, a low door frame, and I do wonder if I've uh, just lost some chunks of memory <laughs> from the past few months. Because uh, yeah, it's it's coming back to me now. Right, and um, and your music that we're going to hear some of today is. Uh, on your SoundCloud is under the name of Angry Zeus Gaming. So you're you're kind of, you know, you're stuck with it now. Yes, absolutely. That's <laughs> Until fine. the end. So, uh, Brian, because Brian has uh, bravely put forward, uh, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was we, we got there between us. Uh, but, you know, Brian Brian wasn't uh, wasn't pushy about it. I, but I was encouraging that, that he should bring some of his compositions uh, to share on Sound of Play. So uh, we've done this a couple of times now and we'd love to do it more, which is listeners who compose. Uh, with a view, hopefully, to getting some commissions, some paid work within games or wherever else. doesn't have to be games, but obviously there's going to be a love of games in, in there. Uh, we get to showcase some of Brian's tracks. So we'll be hearing uh, four of Brian's own pieces uh, as we go along, and he can tell us all about those. But uh, interspersed with uh, some classic video game tracks of Brian's choosing. So we started with a very familiar piece to me, one that I heard many, many times, and I suspect has been remixed and remastered and used again in more recent versions of the, of the Mario Golf franchise. Uh, I believe it was used um, in Mario Golf World Tour for the 3DS. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it was in uh, Toadstool Tour on no. the GameCube. I don't believe it was. Don't think it was, actually. Uh, yeah, and there was no Mario Golf on Wii U, was there? No, disappointingly. It, yes, yeah, or the Wii. It really, you really thought oh, yeah. they'd embrace the the motion controls with everything, and and I was actually a little concerned not to not to harp on the Wii ten years later, but um, mm. I was a little concerned that the Mar uh, at a full motion control Mario Golf would come out, but then I was mm. sadly disappointed that no Mario Golf <laughs> right. came out for the console. So, well, I suppose they covered those bases somewhat with Wii Sports and Wii Sports Resort, although obviously yes. it was very feature limited. But in the in Wii Sports Resort, the Wii Motion Plus and the expanded golf mode actually made uh, for a, a pretty decent game and then you had the option for full motion golf on the Wii of Tiger Woods mm -hmm. uh, which also used the Wii Motion Plus um, but I mean it's it's an interesting series in a way I've, I've been a lover of golf games since leaderboard on the 8-bit Atari in 1985 and I've never loved the sport of golf really I you know I've played a tiny little bit and I've watched a bit but it's golf games that I adore and is is that the same for you or do you, are you a fan of the the actual pro game as well I, I play a little golf, but it, not not nearly as much. I'm I'm quite bad at it. It's fun to be outside, but um, no, I I love golf games. I've been I've been playing uh, golf games as long as I can remember. The first mm. golf game that I had was NES uh, Open Tournament Golf for the right. uh, for the Nintendo and for the NES. Had a Mario and, Cameo, I think. Yes, a, absolutely. Yeah, and um, I've been kind of playing them all since. I I it's. I always just kind of get hypnotized by golf games, like just the idea. It's it's almost like a score attack in a, in a way, just in yeah. a different and more in a real sport version. And um, what a puzzle through... game as well. There's a puzzle yes. element, a physics sort of oh. game, skill game. Yeah, I played I played the ring modes in the Mario Golf games. I mean, to oh, unbelievable gosh, ends. Yeah. I played ah, oh, and then 
They they had great versions where you could they roll a slot machine and you'd only get three certain clubs to play a whole. I mean, that's right, that's genius. All through, yeah, it's really it's really been uh, golf games for me. I mean, anytime a new golf game comes out, my um, uh, my, my, my my wife kind of knows that I'm going to be in the zone for a while. I'm not going to be playing much else. Right now, I'm actually playing everybody's golf. It's just I it's I can't get a I can't get away from these golf games. <laughs> There's a relationship between the series, of course, because uh, the original Minano Golf, which became Hot Shots Golf in America mm-hmm. and everybody's golf in Europe mm-hmm. back in 98 I think it was 97 98 that was by Camelot Software Planning who Oh I was think, it really? Yeah yeah oh, so I wow. think Nintendo then went on and poached Camelot effectively or signed them up <laughs> to a deal they had this is all off the top of my head so forgive me any mistakes then they they got Camelot Software Planning to make uh, games for the Game Boy Advance as so they also made I think they made the Golden Sun games as well but they mm. also made the GBA uh, versions of Mario Golf and uh, Mario Tennis, which sort of tied in with the N64 games. Um, and yeah, Camelot have continued, I think, to produce for uh, for Nintendo. Meanwhile, uh, Sony handed over everybody's golf or hot shots in America, as it was then, um, mm-hmm. to clap hands. And I don't know what the DNA among the development teams is, whether anyone stayed from, from Camelot to become part of clap hands or, or whatever, but you can feel the the similarity uh, in those two games still to this day. But obviously for the last, well, best part of 20 years now, Mario golf games have been full of Mario. Yeah. <laughs> and, but one shouldn't, like I, I'm, I'm like you in that I will happily play. Uh, I will play a serious sports sim, like a topspin tennis, but I'll also play a Mario tennis. And similarly, yes. I'll play a PGA Tour golf or a Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods golf, and I'll play a, a a Mario golf. But what one shouldn't make the mistake of thinking, of course, is that as with so many of these Nintendo games, that just because it's Mario golf doesn't mean it's like some you know stupidly easy, soft <laughs> kind of barely challenging kiddie friendly game because maybe the early levels are that but oh boy those ga- the course the later courses in those games are nightmarish oh they are yeah they're brutal and then the 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 way that traditionally in those games and even some a lot of this has kind of followed through to these games now as they're still coming out in the the hot shots everybody's golf and mario golf uh, in that vein is that to unlock more characters you're always playing match play so you're playing against the character in order to unlock yeah. them and as you get farther along in the Mario Golf, specifically Mario Golf for the 64, when you're playing against Bowser and you're getting later on the, the real powerful characters, I mean, the computer AI is just stacked to the limit. and they are Classic just, Nintendo they are, AI, just, yeah. Uh, precisely, I mean, just dropping. I mean, like, I mean, the eagling, birding, nonstop. You have to be, you have to be yeah. a real good player. I remember I struggled with this, um, yeah, uh, at the time, and and I was I was in high school, but I, I remember really struggling getting unlocking all the content. But I mean, I, I eventually did, but mm. it was a, I mean, <laughs> hundreds of hours put into Mario Golf. I've been tempted to pick it up on Wii U Virtual Console, the N sixty four version. I don't have an N sixty four anymore or my original mm. cartridge. But actually, what put, uh, two things put me off? One is uh, the fact that I think uh, obviously I've I've got everybody's golf on PS3 and Vita, and I think visually it would be hard to probably go back to the N64 mm-hmm. game. But the other consideration is the incredible challenge that those games provide. Like, there's no way I'm going to play like 50 or 100 hours of Mario Golf on the N64 <laughs> now. As much as you know, if I had in- infinite life, um, I might <laughs> <Right>. consider it. <laughs> 
But one thing, obviously, we've heard uh, from that's from kind of the first course, isn't it? The, the friendliest, yes. gentlest uh, piece of music for the friendliest, gentlest course. Uh, but it is a real skill to. Whereas in a in a golf sim, like you probably won't have in-game music because it it does more to try to recreate the atmosphere of a of a real golf tournament. So you'll get the hush of the crowd and t- the odd tweeting of a bird and gust of wind. But obviously, with the cutesy golf games, it, it sort of makes sense that you've got these tunes. But it can be a real problem if you've got short loops or or irritating melodies that uh, that will yeah rub you up the wrong way before too right. long. Yeah, the uh, the thing I I find that I like most about this track is I still get this track stuck in my head um, on a regular basis it's a real earworm for me for whatever reason and I find that when I get it stuck in my head it's when I'm doing something that's relatively uh, repetitious or like even at work sometimes if I'm just doing some menial tasks Hmm. and just kind of uh, going through the day I'll get this song stuck in my head because I really associate this song with just kind of like you know pleasant background noise as I'm kind of getting through accomplishing my goal at least I, I believe it's hard to write a track like that where it can be catchy and and but also not annoy you as you're constantly plopping ball after ball into the water. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, it's been disappointing returns from Camelot or Nintendo's uh, sports game team in recent years. Like each version of tennis and golf that has happened has been a little less well received than the previous one. Seemingly less content each time as well, yeah. which is highly disappointing. Hopefully the success of the Switch that's clearly a, a runaway smash of a machine uh, that they can't make enough of them to keep up with demand will mean that they'll be willing to commit to making some perhaps more uh, you know fully featured and you know closer to being triple a mario sports titles because i think if they do go all in and they get the real you know the the high 80s reviews rather than the the mid 70s i think it sells they're going to sell so many more copies in the same Mm -hmm. way that even a even a re-release of a three-year-old mario Kart has you know smashed sales right. all over the place. I think if they re- if they released a Switch Mario Golf, I mean it's such a beautiful situation as well. You know, being able to play it anywhere, just uh, you know break those controllers off and play two player. Same with tennis; they'd be so perfect. Yeah, it'd be the perfect console for that. And I was uh, like you, and like most of the reception, I was um, lukewarm. Would be even kind to say how I felt about the Mario Golf World Tour on the 3DS. I thought it was yeah. really bare bones, and it almost mm. seemed like, like maybe they maybe they lost focus in the middle of development. Maybe money ran out. They decided, hey, we're not going to support this as much. I don't know. I don't know the story behind it, but it feels like yeah. a like a half featured game. Uh, so you mentioned there the importance of composing tracks that uh, don't rub the player up the wrong way. So you're speaking as somebody who uh, is writing music with a view to hopefully getting it in games in the future. Uh, and we're going to hear some of your pieces as we've discussed. So the first one uh, is called Dig Warrior. So what can you tell us about this one? Well, I, I'm not. Uh, subtlety is not my best um trait so yeah, a lot of the names overrated are, yeah thank you yeah good yeah it's it, it unfortunately um uh so i can't come up with a lot of clever titles but uh i love your I, titles oh, oh thanks I was actually i was thinking they're great like they, they all evoke you know and I, I, I could totally visualize the kind of game and the kind of level that they were specifically from just from the name so nothing <laughs> wrong with that Oh, thank you. Um, so, so Dig Warrior, I, I wrote it uh, not too uh, cleverly to um, uh, as a spec track for a Shovel Knight type of platformer, a, uh, a Mega Man-y kind of side-scrolling, um, high action. Um, I, I love the music from Shovel Knight. I know that's, that's uh, pretty common among people who've played the game. The music is just is stellar. It's a nice 
throwback to the NES, um, the, 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 to the games that they're kind of doing an homage to, but also can accomplish a lot more with higher sound equipment, you know, better mm. sound chips and sound, uh, sound, uh, devices. But, um, so I was just, I, I was trying to, um, uh, write a song that I, I think could fit in a, in a game quite like that, a, a side-scrolling action platformer. And this was actually kind of how I got into, the, uh, recording this type of music. I, um, I've been a, guitar player for years i've played in bands um primarily yeah. bass and regular guitar and mm-hmm. um a friend of mine had been doing a lot of home recording and i went over to his um his little computer setup back in february and he kind of gave me a rundown of what he was doing and and i'd never really played keys or, or synth before um i knew my way around them but i always have just had melodies in my head um that i would come up with and try to recreate on my guitar and a lot of times my brain is thinking about doing things that my fingers can't actually accomplish on mm. the real world instrument and uh the synthesizer and digital recording allows me to kind of do those things. Um, and so I, I sat down, I'm like, I would love to write a Shovel Knight song. And, and this was actually the first thing that I recorded and, and I did it and mixed and mastered all myself that I was really proud of. And so it was the first thing I ever showed anybody. And I showed it to my wife. And of course she, she told me that it was that she liked it and she thought it was good, but she probably would have told me that anyway, <laughs> regardless yeah. of what it was. Um, but then I asked around, I, I, I sent to my friend some recording and, and, a, and a few of my video game buddies and, and they they were very encouraging and, 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 and so I just said, you know what, I'm going to kind of run with this energy and, and keep it going and, and even as I look back now, the, a lot of things I've done, I, I really just kind of have a fondness for this one just because of what it means to me. It was kind of my first real crack and, and I'm still very proud of it.
So that was Dig Warrior from our guest Brian or Angry Zeus Gaming to give him his working name, uh, <laughs> his his, uh, his his show business name. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes, yes, very fancy. <laughs> yeah. I say this not not in indicator of the quality, but but you know it is brave to come on, you know, and put it out there in a public place, um, and uh, yeah, and share it with us all. But I I I anticipate positive feedback. Uh, I I surely do. Yeah, we're we're not all married to you, so that so there'll be if you do get positive <laughs> feedback from the community, you'll know that it's genuine um, <laughs> and supportive, and not just so that you don't sulk and get depressed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of things to keep you cheery, this next tune is an absolute. Uh, yeah, it's an upbeat wonder. Uh, a little bit of eight bit magic uh, from Charles Deneen. Tell us uh, why you picked this one from MC Kids, or should it be Mook Kids? I'm not I, really sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I uh, we actually when I was a when I was a kid, we we uh, argued about that. Me and my friend, uh, my my one of my best friends growing up, had this game on his NES, and I have it now. I um. I have a a large NES collection. I just you know, like a lot of people my age, just constantly trying to collect my own childhood, and um, I've got a lot of NES games um, stacked. And lately, I've been deciding that they don't get played enough, so I've been using um, yeah, Surrey to just pick a number between one and I have, I have a couple hundred NES games that she picks um. a number, and I pull it out and I play it for an hour, and then I'll write about my experience with it. And a lot of times, as you can imagine, that um. That experience is uh, not very positive if you're looking back at the NES Sometimes. system. Yeah. But um, this game I pulled out, and I was excited to play it for the nostalgia factor. And then I played it for an hour, and I really had positive thoughts about this game. It mm. It's a weird game, and I did a little mm-hmm. research on it. It um, it was made I mean, by Virgin NES Games, who, who they, they made quite a few different titles for the NES. But... Um, and I believe this game was called McDonald Land in Europe, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't even remember if the NES version came out, but I remember the there was a Mega Drive. Oh no, that was Mick and was there a McDonald's Land? I'm confused now because there were three there were three McDonald's games. There was <laughs> the there was the Treasure developed one, uh, McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure on the Mega Drive. There was the Shiny Entertainment one, or, or also Virgin, which was Mick and Mac Global Gladiators. By that Dave might be it. I'm not sure because Mick and okay. Mac are the names of the characters okay. from this game. Right, right, right. Okay, <laughs> Mick and Mac. I mean, it's just so. It's just. Yeah. Uh, it's a, what what a what a piece from the times. It's just it's so totally it's interesting to look back at, but. This game had a lot of great ideas, and I'm not right. sure if they were if they had stolen any of this from other things. I'm sure at, at that point every developer was I don't want to say stolen, but you know mm-hmm. really gained influence off. It certainly was influenced by Mario. It's a side-scrolling platformer, um, but it kind of had a unique setup. You you had to collect different items within worlds in order to up to unlock the next stages, and it had this really neat mechanic. The jumping is very loose, and it feels like you're traveling on ice, no matter where you are. You're slipping, sliding all over the place. <laughs> Every level's a slippy, slidey ice. Yes. Level. Everyone, but it had this really neat mechanic where you'd, um, or if you, there'd be these wheels on the screen, if you ran fast enough, the the wheel would spin you upside down, and the entire gravity of the level would change. Your, your ah, viewpoint like would change. Strider. Kind yes, of thing. exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was really neat, and as I was playing through it, it really, it really was a pretty competent game. But like, uh, I, I look back on it; it's been sitting on the shelf. as, oh, that's that that's that weird McDonald's endorsed game. But um, <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed it, and uh, the music is so cheery i mean like oppressively positive and um and i i looked it up um i looked up a bunch of stuff on it and um i just think the game had a lot of great ideas and this this track in particular i i 
um, it would kind of play every other level. They only had three or four different level tracks that would cycle in. And every time I got to a level of this track, I found myself kind of taking my time a little bit more and, and bopping along with it because I really do enjoy the feel of this song. is the level theme two seems to be described as from uh, McKids or MC Kids from the NES. So I didn't, I don't, maybe I've looked this up before on a previous show. I don't know. I can't trust my memory anymore. Uh, but Charles Deneen um, was one of the original Maniacs of Noise group along with Yeron Tell. And we featured a lot of Yeron Tell's Commodore 64 music on mm-hmm. the Sound of Play. Uh, I think we fe- featured fewer Charles Deneen tracks, uh, or Deenan, sorry. Uh, but he uh, ended up uh, working a lot with Interplay and Virgin, worked on the Fallout, uh, the, the early Fallout games and uh, Planescape, uh, Lost Vikings and Descent 2 and things like that. So, oh, wow, uh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, I have to look into yeah. some more of his work. Yeah, so I uh, yeah he started as an eight bit guy and and uh, made the transition at least into the next uh, couple of generations. I'm not sure uh, how recently his uh, his work goes up to, but um, yeah, well, always uh, happy to get more requests from the community for if anyone's been following uh, Mr. Deenan's career with interest. So uh, interspersed with our picks from video game history from our guest here, Brian. We've also got his uh, tracks under the moniker of Angry Angry Zeus Gaming, I should say. And uh, this one is called, again, evocatively enough, Space Madness. <laughs> yep, Space Madness. I, um, I, I sat down um, at my computer a few months ago and really hadn't taken a crack at anything uh, truly what I considered sci-fi. Right. Um, and I really wanted to, I decided, Hey, if I'm going to do this, uh, I want to, if I want to write music for games, which I most certainly do, um, I, I'm going to have to, you know, really start to stretch my legs, try out some genres I, I, I haven't really written for before. And I sat down with a, with an idea and, um, I was thinking kind of like a, a Gallica or even like a Galaxy, just like a space shooter. 
Mm-hmm. And I started, I sat down with a tempo that was very high and the, it really wasn't coming together. So I kind of took the tempo and I halved it and I really slowed down the song and I really liked what came out. And it made me think of the double fine adult swim game Headlander. Did you ever play that, Leon? No, I didn't. It's it's like a side scrolly. Um, it's a it's a Metroidvania. Basically, you you, you uh-huh. control you control this disembodied floating head, and you're but it's like a robot head that you can attach to different mechanical bodies to get through the areas. Nice. Um, has it has a scene maybe seventy five percent of the way through the game where it's a very high action scene, but the music that plays is very low tempo, very understated, and just kind of has this thumping bass that goes behind it. And I found it really. Hmm. kind of added some level to the scene that I wasn't expecting. Um, and it, it was really memorable because the the game itself was kind of, um, I got it on a sale, you know, it wasn't, you know, I played through it in about six, seven hours. It wasn't um, n- nothing particularly memorable, but this music was really something that, that I found, that I thought was really special. So I kind of was thinking about that. Oh, that'd be kind of neat. Like, let's write kind of a, a sci-fi track that's, that's kind of a lower tempo, but kind of is pumping along that could maybe be paired with a high action sequence and and this is kind of this is kind of what came out of my brain
So that's Space Madness from our guest, Angry Zeus Gaming. So uh, when you're about, you, you say that you were inspired by uh, Headlander and you went off and composed that. So what's your what's your process? Uh, do you start <laughs> on guitar, keyboards, or or, or trumpet? You know, what's, how do you, where do you begin, or just your just your brain? My my process is is very is very weird, and it's, it's it makes me I didn't. I'm not laughing at you. I was laugh- just laughing at the word process and just yeah, yeah, that. Sure, like sure. it just makes me it, it makes me uh, makes me kind of laugh because my 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 the way that I originally got into this mm. uh, to writing music was I literally will just be walking down the street or in the shower or at work and a melody will just come into my head and, and yeah, it, yeah. if it's it's either a very popular song that I can easily identify or it's something I don't quite know what it is and what I will literally do now thanks to the beauty of smartphones i'll take out my phone and record a voice voice memo of myself yeah. humming whatever the melody is and so i'll get home from wherever i'm at and i'll sit down at a, either my guitar or at a keyboard and start playing that melody and then try to decide okay well is this what is this is this something is it um i've actually written a couple things recently that were like you know just really kind of one-off little melodies i'd be like oh this kind of be neat for a menu screen or for a you know a save mm-hmm. screen things like that um but sometimes they turn into fuller songs and um so I just kind of start with a, I just get a melody in my head and 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 run with it and see where it goes. I I don't tend to, when I sit down with a with an idea in my head of what I'm going for, I'm normally pretty laser focused and kind of get done pretty quickly. Well, what I find is the stuff that I end up liking the most is where I just kind of sit down with a loose idea in my head and just kind of let it form as I'm writing the music and adding different parts to it and uh, and it just the the process is is very loose and undefined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that uh, as long as uh, dictaphones have been around, or possibly even further back with wax cylinders, I'm sure that's how a lot of people have, have been composing. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I've read uh, anecdotes from you know, great songwriters or just professional songwriters who have uh, had that thing where they've woken up with a melody in their head and they think it's brilliant, but then they didn't have their dictaphone or possibly they didn't have any instruments with them <laughs> and they had no way of noting it down. And then the next day they they couldn't remember it and they feel like it was the, the greatest song uh, right. that they, they ever wrote that's, that's never going to be uh, available to them again to their conscious self there's a there's a brilliant song by a brilliant artist from a brilliant album in my opinion called uh Eidmar Clackshaw is by Bill Callahan mm-hmm. uh from the album I think it's called Sometimes I Wish I Were an Eagle and the whole song is about how he dreamt the perfect song and when he tries to recreate it the next day it comes out absolute nonsense uh hence the name Eidmar Clackshaw uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a work of genius. I think I'll uh, I'll, I'll share it with you later. Yeah, please do. Um, That'd be awesome. It's uh, yeah, it's a very very cool song. So next up, your pick for track five is from possibly my all time favorite video game soundtrack. Uh, certainly. Oh really? It's right up there. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, Hiroki Kikuta's uh, Secret of Mana or Seiken Densetsu Two soundtrack is absolutely one of my favorites. There are two or three tracks off it which. Uh, I yeah I just consider some of my all-time favorite music regardless of of game or not and this piece is just outside that very very elite list for me I I love this piece I'd love to hear Uh, later what those tracks are because this is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time too (laughs) yeah really the signature pieces are the ones that I love the most but I've forgotten the titles because as 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 you know my memory (laughs) is uh, is failing me Uh, but this one is a cracker as well so distant thunder what is it you like about this one um, I, I remember this specifically, and this is going to be a very specific moment from the game, but, you know, you kind of go through the prologue of the game, and and honestly, the, the beginning of Secret of Mana, to me, isn't what's special about it. Um, it's kind of pretty generic, you know, nameless 
you know, voiceless hero finds sword, sword has power, go on adventure, restore power to sword, you know, that type of, it's, yes. that's pretty typical. Um, yep. But that, that initial, after you're banished from the initial village, the village name I can't remember off the top of my head, and you're mm. making that initial trek to the dwarf village, and you're kind of going through your first seeing the world, and, and, and when you get close to the dwarf village, this is the, this is the music that's, that, that, that kicks in. And and as gay as navel is the area in the game, and you're kind of circling around. You're fighting these big hornets that are shooting barbs at you, and you're kind of seeing the level design develop, and you're kind of getting used to the character, and and you're you're leveling up, and you're seeing your sword and kind of power up. And I remember mm-hmm. that this moment, this song, I, I associate with when I realized that oh, this game is something that I'm really into. Like mm-hmm. this, and and I spent hours in that initial section because. I came from the school of Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy 2 where mm. if you wanted to progress in one of these games, you spent about 10 hours fighting real yeah. low-level guys. You know? Rabbites. So, yep, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. You spend all that time slaughtering them so that when you got to the next boss, you could defeat it yeah. relatively easily. Um, this game's a little different than that. A lot of, a lot re- requires on your, on your on the powers that you have, but... Yeah. So I just spent a ton of time in this area and listening to this music play and boy, it just like this music feels like home. You know, it's a uh, it's it, it makes me feel it makes me remember that time when I was a kid. It's great music for grinding and level up and um and yeah, I just uh I I, I can't think enough about this track and and this game as a whole. Just I love it. Thank you. 
I love it too, Distant Thunder, Hiroki Kakuta. That's an amazing soundtrack because that's from the Super Nintendo and it, uh, yeah. he used an incredibly, uh, I guess, limited set of samples but got so much out of them. The soundtrack is, as you can find it on, on YouTube, I, I think I have it on MP3 and CD, uh, it's about two hours long, which was an awful lot, uh, long soundtrack for a cartridge game in the mid-90s. And a lot of the tracks actually on the OST weren't even used in the game. They were composed and written, but they never actually found were you know found there was a no place for them to be mm-hmm. employed in the game. So there's just pieces on there which are which have never been used. Uh, Secret of Mana sort of tailed off in the end with multiple DS games that none of which I, as I understand it, captured the magic of the the earlier games. But we're just about to see something of a. Uh, a little revival because the uh, Japanese version of the uh, Super Famicom Mini is going to have Second Densets 3 on it, I believe. Yes. Uh, and we are getting, everyone is getting, a, a, a Polygon HD remake of the original Secret of Mana early next year. So uh, have you had a look at the footage? Does it excite you or do you feel that they're not capturing the uh, the original spirit? I'm I'm gonna play it. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But mm. I, I really I and I'm I'm not I'm not one of these people on the internet that just you know kind of talks down about everything that comes out. I'm generally I try yep. to keep my sense of excitement and wonder up about games. I can like, tell that about you. <laughs> I try. I think we're kindred spirits. <laughs> um, but this the boy the the look of this game really doesn't doesn't do a lot for me. Um, it it reminds me of um of like a late PS2, early PS3 Tales mm. game a little bit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that I'm wrong, and I'm hoping that the gameplay and the music... And I'm really excited to hear what they did with the music. I know that they're talking yeah. about updates and remastering stuff, so I'm really psyched about that. And I'm going to play it, and I like the idea of being able to play it on my Vita because that's portable and that's fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I maybe... Hopefully I'm wrong, but the, the general look of it so far... Um, looks to me as something that was maybe a little rushed or or maybe it's just me making a snap judgment too quickly hopefully hopefully it's great because I'm, I'm gonna play it either way but I feel similarly to you and I think that's where I, I sort of you know I phrased the question in a slightly leading way but I think that's because of yeah I, I feel slightly I, I feel slightly trepidatious that, that that it won't capture the magic and I, and ideally want it to I still have the old Secret of Mana, the the European version on my Wii uh, Virtual Console, which I can play on my Wii U, versus you know through through the modern uh, TV and all that. So there's so it's no problem. Like the original doesn't go anywhere, but equally I I do want them to do something which honours the uh, the original game. But that said, like I skipped Legend, was it Legend of Mana, Children of Mana, various there were various I, DS yeah, games which were supposed to. I'm not to, sure. I, I can't. Yeah. I could never keep track, and I didn't really play any of them. I. To be fair, I didn't give them a fair shake, um, but me neither. But um, none of them were tremendously well received, yeah. which put me off. Uh, yeah, it's funny you should say about uh, like early days of grinding. So I think uh, Secret of Mana was my first JRPG, uh, although it's uh, it, it had real time action. Unlike uh, so, I, so at this point, I hadn't played a game of the Final Fantasy nature where you would suddenly be beset by invisible monsters from the map. So this was actually <laughs> a nice way in, in that it, they'd already made that step forward by having you actually control your journey around the map and monsters were there they were visible and if you wanted to fight them you could fight them if you wanted to go past them you could go past them uh but i wasn't really the the whole uh the whole term of grinding and that concept wasn't in the in my 
sphere of uh, experience at this point there was no there was no grinding in the lexicon in games as far as I can remember um, but me and my girlfriend of the time played this back in it would have been 94 I think uh, late 94 early 95 and we were sort of taking it in turns we, we didn't play it cult for some reason even though that is also possible you can play it two or three players uh, but we were I think just because we were working opposite shifts and stuff we were both playing it independently of one another and we were you know, avoiding spoilers and things like that but she used to so she did a lot more grinding than than I did, but we didn't know it was called that. So she used to say, I just spent the evening practicing my magic, which I thought was... <laughs> I like that a lot more. Much more charming, <laughs> yeah. So she would go into the woods, as you say, and just go around and power up her spells by, by practicing her magic. So I, I still think of that sometimes when I'm playing the Witcher or whatever, and I'm just doing a... Uh, you know, a kind of low level bog standard quest and just gaining a few XP from it. So rather than grinding, which has negative connotations, you just say you're practicing, practicing your swords, practicing your magic uh, uh, or, or getting some loot together, whatever, something like that. That will, that will for sure be in my gaming vocabulary from now on, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> She'll be very pleased, but I'm pretty sure she doesn't <laughs> listen, although we are still on good terms. Um, that was 20, God, 24 years ago. Uh, yeah, right. It's hard to believe. Hard to Next believe. up. Uh, Brian, this is another. I think this this may be my favorite of the tracks of yours that I've listened to, which was oh, uh, I think I listened to five tracks, but I I, I like, genuinely like them all. Not just saying that, I'd just be skirting around the issue if I didn't. Uh, but this this one's really really pleasant on the ears. Sunmist Plateau, another nice name. So uh, where did this one uh, come from in your? your soul or your brain, wherever you think music comes from. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I originally wrote um, a piece for guitar, um, a little progression that you hear at the, at the, in the beginning parts of the song. And, um, my wife was actually the one, um, I've been talking about her a lot on this episode, but they, she's the one that told me, she's like, Oh, that sounds kind of like, um, like almost an animal crossing. And she said, what's that farming game that you are mm. been obsessed with lately? And I was like, <laughs> Stardew Valley. And that's where the, obviously the name came from. Once again, me being clever or, or clever being not clever with sun mist plateau, Stardew Valley. Um, but, um, <laughs> But yeah, the it when she said that, I had never thought about that before. It was just something that I kind of played this repetition uh, chord progression. I played when I just kind of sat down to warm up playing, and I uh, and I and she said that and I'm like, oh wow, it kind of does sound like that. So I sat down to write what I thought would be kind of a like either a spring or fall type of uh, music for an Animal Crossing Stardew Valley Harvest Moon farming village simmy type of game, and. Um, and the thing that I and I never really thought about this till I started recording music, and I'm not, and I'm certainly not someone who considers myself highbrow at all. But when I was thinking about those games, I mean, th- that music really does a lot in capturing the essence of a season, you know. Yeah. And like, it's it's weird that a piece of music can make you think of leaves falling off the tree, or it can think you of, of of taking a walk through, you know, with with snow on the sidewalk. But those games really do a fantastic job of conveying that. Um, Completely. And, and and I and it really adds to the experience. I mean, when I played Stardew Valley, and again, Stardew Valley is going to be so. We'll talk about that later too. But I mean, just the way that I that music makes me feel during those segments, during those sections of the of the year, um, it really it, it ties me to the game more. I'm I'm more invested. It's 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 emotional in in a way, just of like you know, feeling you're like it's really kind of immersing you in the whole aspect of it really is spring this is really what you're doing and i was trying to do that with this song and um and whether or not i accomplished it that's not up for me to decide but i but i i was happy with the end product <laughs> Thank you. 
Sun Mist Plateau. Very pretty indeed. I don't know, Brian, if you heard, I know you are a listener. Uh, I don't know if you heard our recent podcast with Stefan Schutz, the Australian composer. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, he he offered some composer's insight into why certain instruments and why certain sounds sound like certain things. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a, a, a fascinating insight into yeah, just thinking about why we associate certain sounds with certain atmospheres, and it is actually you know it's really primal stuff. It's to do with the actual sonic soundscape of the landscape or the season and things like that and so it's not just a case of well i heard somebody else doing that for this sound (laughs) so there's there might be an element of that an association but also it goes it goes far further back in our in our primal histories uh in terms of actually picking up on the sounds that uh the autumn makes for instance or summer or spring or whatever uh and also uh your the naming of your tracks reminds me of um there was a game came out. Oh, it, actually, I, it, I don't know if it came out under this name in the end because it, it had to be renamed in the end. But during the height of Harry Potter mania, uh, somebody knocked out a game which was eventually uh, released under the title of Billy the Wizard. But at one point it was going to come out under the title of Barry Hatter. <laughs> and, and it was just so poor. Uh, and there he was. On the on the broomstick with his glasses on, um, but in the yeah the mm. I think the finished version he didn't have glasses mm. and it, he was Billy. He had, a, he had a rain cloud scar on his forehead. Yeah, that <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, but um, oh goodness me, uh, how to how to avoid uh, legal uh, wranglings? Uh, Leanne, oh, if and I'm, if I'm ever on, yeah. as on the nose as that with any of these, <laughs> please let me know because <laughs> it would it would drive me insane to have people to be like, oh my god, did you see the title of that song? What an idiot. <laughs> 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 and um you're asking yeah the my two absolute favorite secret of manor songs uh are into the thick of it and uh the color of the summer sky oh color of the summer sky is unbelievable that's a great yeah oh, i love that song so something recent uh your tracks have all been recent as well because uh this year has been the year you've got things together to produce stuff and all power to you for doing that uh but this is also from a 2017 game don't know exactly when the piece was composed but uh but it it came uh, into the public domain earlier this year from the very well received particularly by those people who play it over and over and over again uh, near automata uh, and i have yet to even buy this game let alone play it so i'm i'm quite excited about it still not played the original so have you been through it and through it and through it to see all these amazing different endings no spoilers please uh yes i have been, uh, i have been through it i did the the what are considered the three main playthroughs and then a okay. bunch of the side content um, did it live up to the hype for you it really did um for me personally and for me the the triumph of near automata was um was the storytelling and again i would never give away a spoiler because i i can't stand when anything spoils for me but the way this game tells its story and the the layers to it and the different ways it communicates its message to you is something that i feel and i'm paraphrasing from somebody else who i had a conversation with um because they said it better than i ever could but it it was told in a way that only video games can tell the story. Mm, yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't even with a book or with a movie, it's just that kind of uh, that all sensory um, experience you can get from a video game. It, it, it really, it really utilizes that to its full, to uh, maybe not its full potential, but the fullest that I've seen. And boy, I mean, I really, I dove right into the story that there's, there's valid criticisms of the game. The gameplay can get um, repetitive. And I, I agree mm-hmm. with that. The, for a platinum game, the combat, 
um, maybe wasn't what you might want to live up to when you're thinking of Bayonetta and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that the experience as a whole needs to be judged. I, I've heard some people giving up on the game four or five hours in saying, hey, this is just not for me. And while I understand yeah. that, uh, because I don't want to spend time playing a game that, I mean, time's limited and, and you want to play the games you like. But um, yeah. but if you really give this game a fair shake, I, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if, um, if you didn't really end up falling in love with the story. Yeah, one of the most uh, frequently tweeted things I've seen in my circle this year. And lest we forget, we all curate our own Twitter timelines. Folks, that's my little PSA for for the week because people seem to forget that. Oh, um, yes, they do. One of the most common tweets this year has been, now play it again. Like, uh, people, people, person tweets, gamer tweets, okay, I've finished near. it was all right. Now what? You know, like, yeah. you know, do I trade it in or, you know, whatever. And then... A massive pile on of people who've gone further with it going play it again play yeah. it again play it again play it at least twice more so that's really really essential for the the full-blown near automata experience right yeah it, it, it is in my opinion they uh and they're and square doesn't does a pretty good job of letting you know that like when you finish the yeah. first main playthrough the, the, a literal screen prompt comes up and says this is not the end of the story please keep right. playing mm. um and it just, you know, it, I can understand people getting confused. The credits roll, and you just, you just had a pretty significant event happen in the game. You think the yeah. game's over, and but the other playthroughs, and this needs, I think this needs to be stressed because, especially for people who don't know, most people probably do at this point. But yeah. the ne- the the subsequent playthroughs are from completely different perspectives, and in most cases, very different gameplay too. So you're yeah. doing different playthroughs, but you're really doing a lot of different stuff. Um, so I mean, that's my own little my little pitch for it. No, that's I, great. And and I think there are a lot of people probably uh, like me this year. Obviously, my playlist is is dominated by stuff for the other podcast, Kane and Rinse. Uh, but I think for a lot of people this year, particularly with PlayStation 4s, it's been an insane year for really high quality and, and long-lasting games. So I think there will be a lot of people who perhaps have this on their maybe to play at some point list. And uh, I think it's well worth remembering that mantra of don't just don't just stop after the credit roll because you're doing <laughs> right. yourself out of the the full experience. And I say this as somebody who hasn't played it at all yet. I just I've just been I've had it drilled into me already that that's what you do. Um, so part of this storytelling, as you as a music lover and a music maker, uh, the soundtrack uh, augments and complements this game as well for you. Does it? Yes, um, and the, the 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 direction in this game and the and the sound design is is really top notch. Uh, music is used as a storytelling device several points in this game. Mm. Uh, this this track, "Peaceful Sleep," is from um, a resistance camp. It's a location you get to very uh, early on in the game, kind of a safe haven, an oasis in this you know, city over you know besieged by these killer robot type things. And um, and it the music kind of changes each time you go and kind of develops and it adds layers and layers. And that's something they do a lot in this game is they. They, they different times when you enter areas it's the same track but they add and they build and they build kind of as the story's building and it's just it's just very well designed and this is this game I mean excuse me this track um, I picked it specifically because um, my wife and I were fortunate enough to uh, just have our first child back in June congratulations and thank you very much and um, and this song peaceful sleep is uh, it is not underselling itself this is the song that I play when he is just inconsolable and huh. he will go he will he will drift off to sleep and um, and that's and that's the way that but that's the way the music makes me feel too it's it's a it's like a it's like a warm blanket it feels good it feels safe and, and it and when you're coming from that city beset by the by the enemy by the robots and then you come to this camp this change in music really does change that feel like okay this is where i can come to 
relax to level up to 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 do what i need to do and and it really kind of it feels like a safe place
Who knew video games as lullaby? That's peaceful sleep. <laughs> the vocal version uh, from Near Automata, uh, Keichi Okabe, and or Keigo Hayashi. I'm not actually sure what the the contribution of each there is. It's uh, very seldom uh, spelled out to us. Uh, and I don't know the, uh, if the vocalist gets a separate credit there or not. Uh, unless that is Keigo Hayashi, perhaps somebody can fill us in. Unless you know, Brian. No, I do not. Answer, <laughs> I don't. That's fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. Right. Uh, Brian Edwards is here with us, a.k.a. Angry Zeus Gaming. And we have uh, the last of uh, the four tracks of his that he's kindly and generously brought for us all to listen to. And also in the hope that somebody out there, perhaps a uh, an a, a young uh, somebody setting out on the path of games development is looking for a soundtrack for their game so you may want to get in touch with Brian listen carefully to this next track uh, so this is Into the Lab and um, first thing I need to know is what's the little noise that is like uh, that starts <laughs> and ends this track is it a little comb? Or? Uh, no I actually I actually uh, took out a socket wrench <laughs> and recorded it's myself a socket wrench. turning okay. the socket wrench I could tell it was something again. real like it had <laughs> it has that I knew it wasn't just something off of a you know a sound library or synthesizer I Knew there was some, there was some genuine kinetic, real sound that you'd perform there, but I couldn't tell what it was. Socket wrench. Okay, yeah. good. What else about this track uh, of note? I um I I wanted to sit down and write this one because I was uh playing through um, uh, Shadow Complex um again because mm. I I really really love that game and it came nearly to ten years old. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's Getting on that's that hard home. to believe. Yeah. <laughs> But it came to backwards compat on the Xbox One not that long ago, and um, yeah. uh, or maybe it was quite some time ago anyway. But I hadn't gotten back to it, so I decided to play through it. And that game really does a great job of changing the music up when you get to the different locations in the base. And so you get to if you're, it's all kind of a military installation, but there's some parts that are um, a little more, you know, laboratory or office complex or the other places that are clearly for that are caves or they're outside forest locations and the game does a great job of just the the music changes based on where you are and that's similar of, of, of a lot of games but I thought Shadow Complex did a great job of that um, so I was thinking um, you know writing a song for those locations is a very specific skill you try to get you try to focus on an area and try to bring that out in in what you're writing so I was gonna write okay let's let's say that the next area of shadow complex was a was was a like a science lab like a hardcore you know science lab you know beakers and bunsen burgers out on the table bubbling yeah. liquid all over the place you know pretty stereotypical science lab and so i started writing it and i had an idea for that was going to be kind of an electronic track and then as it, the more and more i wrote it it just became more of a guitar song and more of a bit of a rock song um hmm. and i just kind of leaned into it um i said okay this is where my brain's going so let's just kind of follow that path and so I kept going, and and but one of the things I really wanted to do was, um, much like Shadow Complex does, is that as the track progresses, adding layers to it, ratcheting up the tension, and then kind of having a big crescendo towards the end, um, mm. uh, just kind of like this big ending, but but still being able to loop that back into how how it began, and so that's kind of just how the the structure of the song was um, at the end, because I am uh, as self-absorbed as any other musician, a uh, musician uh, and magician, I'm assuming um, uh, a yeah. very self-indulgent guitar solo at the end. That is totally oh, unnecessary, well, but I, I, well, I enjoyed doing it. So yeah, that's all that mattered. And, uh, and I, uh, I think it, I, I was very pleased with the end result. And um, I thought regardless of anything, even if it wasn't what I set out to do, it was certainly something that was unique. 
Into the Lab by our guest Brian. Angry Zeus Gaming, another track from this year, of course. Uh, and an atypical guitar solo from Brian there. Feeling, <laughs> he was feeling particularly cock-rocky that day <laughs> by his own standards. Yeah, it's, it's easy uh, to feel that way when you're alone in your basement. You can, you, can, yeah. <laughs> you can get into that a lot easier than if you're in front of people. <laughs> yeah, hiding in the corner, away <laughs> right. from the lights. Yeah. That's right. Uh, right, well, remember, listeners, please venture over to the forum, canarince.com slash forum, or you can do it on Twitter. Follow us at canarince. Use the hashtag sound of play if you want. We also have the Facebook page, facebook.com slash canarince. Don't even need to tell you that, but uh, you can request your favorite tunes. Uh, we also encourage uh, curios, audio interestingnesses from the history of uh, video games all the way back from the beginning of early beeps uh, all the way up to the grand orchestrations of the present day the only thing we try to avoid is uh, generally although not entirely licensed tracks but particularly those that were famous in their own right before they were used in a video game uh, we will bend the rules for those which we think are just mainly associated with the game uh, yeah and when it's a regular sound of play show with uh, with us guys from Kane and Rince or uh, or a member of the community who doesn't make their own music uh, we'll continue to include your requests in there. We have a spreadsheet. Uh, there's uh, like over 100 tracks on there, I think, at the moment. But uh, we'll get around to most of them in time if we can. Uh, if you enjoy Sound of Play, please leave us an iTunes review or rating. Uh, we still lack iTunes reviews and ratings for Sound of Play compared to Kane and Rince, the other podcast. Uh, and as I've said before, it's not just that uh, it makes us feel warm and moist inside it's also that it actually propels sound of play up the charts getting reviews and ratings i know it's weird but that's the way it works it's not just about downloads and if you want to support us on a more general level you can buy t-shirts and bags actually i don't often mention that on sound of play but i should spreadshirt.co.uk slash cane and rinse uh, t-shirts and bags you can get the sound of play logo or the cane and rinse uh, but we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash rinse. You can donate a minimum of a dollar a month. Uh, and we're currently working towards a target of $3,000 a month. If we can get there by mid-November, possibly the end of November, we might extend it a little. Uh, if we can get to $3,000 a month and sustain it, we'll actually make twice as many uh, Kane and Rince podcast next year will cover 100 games or franchise instead of 50, uh, basically because we'll be able to, uh, or I and Jay will be able to go full time because um, we'll be able to uh, <laughs> donate that much more time because effectively we'll be being paid, um, which would be amazing. Um, but it means more for us and more for you. So a dollar a month, it's uh, that's really not much money. It's uh, considerably less than a pound, less than uh, one euro. And uh, yeah, that you get at least uh, 20 hours worth of entertainment uh, for that. I think my maths might be off there slightly. Uh, but that's the plan if, if we do everything we want to do. Anyway, before we hear from Brian's final pick uh, by another composer, uh, Brian, you must plug your yourself and your wares. Um, well, thank you again for having me. And uh, I encourage everybody to donate to the... Uh the Patreon as well, because I, oh. I, I would, I, I already donated to the Patreon, but I, I would also like to have a hundred sound of player, a cane and rinses to listen to next year, as selfishly as a fan. So, um, yep. yeah, that, that would be great. But, um, as far as my own stuff goes, um, I have a SoundCloud page with all my music on it. It's soundcloud.com slash angry Zeus gaming. 
Um, I'm at Angry Zeus Gaming on Twitter. Um, I I have gotten a lot more active on Twitter in the most recent months. If uh, anybody wants to follow me there, that'd be awesome. And I also have a YouTube channel, which is Angry Zeus Gaming on YouTube, which is just the sound files set to a picture backdrop of all my music on YouTube. And that's where you can find my stuff. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be the guy that writes music for your thing. Excellent. Well, I think uh, that's been a fantastic pitch and a, and a great showcase. And hopefully, yes, the right person has heard it. Uh, and we also would yeah, use this uh, as encouragement to others who listen to Sound of Play, who love video game music and who are starting out making their own stuff. Uh, if you think it's good enough to share it, then yeah, just hit me up, tweet me. Uh, I'm at Rats or Albion or just use the cane and rinse. Uh, or you can find our email, I think, on the homepage, possibly. Uh, it's That's part of the challenge, is working out how to contact us. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we encourage you to do so. Uh, and, as I say, always, uh, if you're just a, uh, a regular listener who doesn't make music, but you want to come on and talk about your five favourite tracks, you can do that too. And uh, we've got some more uh, folks like that coming up soon. So let us uh, play out now with, uh, this is a soundtrack we featured before, but I don't think we featured this exact version of this track. So this is uh, from Stardew Valley, which we mentioned earlier, and it's by the disgustingly talented Eric, <laughs> still not sure, Baroni or Barone, but one of the two. Yeah, this um, this game, I mean, I, I've lost, I mean, I've lost actual weeks of my life to this game. I, I, I can't. Can't say enough about it. It's it's one of my favorite games and one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And and the fact that it was created by one person is both very inspiring and encouraging and wildly depressing yeah. and dejecting because he, I realize he took years of his life and I can't wait to read. There's a book that just came out that has a chapter dedicated to to yeah. to him making this game and I can't wait to read it just because I'd love to see what that is because what that was like for him because it must have just been a, a maddening process. Um, but it, 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 the, the end product is, is so impressive to me and it, it, it's right in my wheelhouse cause I love Harvest Moon and Animal Crossing mm. and those games anyway. Yeah. But man, just, uh, everything about this game. And, um, I recently just wrote an article from, uh, for my blog too, that I haven't posted yet, just about how everything in this game is just crafted so well, even down to the length of the day like the length of the day-night mm. cycle, just because it forces you, to, every decision you make in that day is wildly important because it, it, it's so, your time is so limited to what you can accomplish in that day that it mm. really can set the course of your past and even the course of your farm on a whole different direction. And obviously I could, I could gush about this game for, for, for hours. It's uh it's fantastic. But um, this, this track is just pretty and uh, it, it just captures that season perfectly. I was talking about before. If if, yeah. if there would be a, a a goal to shoot for for myself, it'd be to be able to create music like this because I I just find it very impressive. Mm. So we're going to hear from Spring, uh, Brian. I shall add you to our mega spreadsheet for if we ever cover Stardew Valley the game on the other podcast, you can come and be our guest. <laughs> oh, don't tease me now, Leon. <laughs> well, it could it could well happen. I think is the Switch version out yet, or is it is it imminent? No, I forget. Not it's, yet. It's uh, imminent. They haven't uh, set a release date. And what I'm what I'm more looking for to see if the Switch if they have a physical version of the game because uh, so Ooh. far the so far it's been completely digital. And I'd love to have this game on a physical cartridge as opposed to just on a external hard drive somewhere. In you the can buy it physically over here. Oh, you uh, can. 
Yeah, uh, limited run games, uh, I believe, oh, is the label. Yes, yes. So I think it might be possible. Uh, perhaps we we might be able to arrange some sort of import situation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will be looking into that as soon as we get done here today. Yeah, um, but yes, I'm sort of. Uh, I still haven't got round to getting this. I had it on my Steam wish list for a long time. Then I thought, oh, maybe I'll play it more on PS4. But I'm thinking maybe the Switch version is the one to go for. But at some point I'll get it and I'll play it. Uh, I also like Animal Crossing. And although I've not spent millions of hours playing Harvest Moon, I've, I have dabbled in the past. And uh, it seems like Stardew Valley might actually be a slightly more friendly way of playing that kind of game than the Harvest Moon games, which uh, uh, were born in the mid-90s. And they had an enormous amount of charm, but they could also be pretty grueling. Whereas I think Stardew Valley kind of... Uh, from what I understand, it sort of polishes off some of the the sort of 90s style rough edges, and so it keeps the look and the feel, but it doesn't quite have the same onerous nature to it. Would that would that be fair? I, yeah, I think that's a that's a perfect description of it. It really um, it it becomes player friendly in a way that those games weren't necessarily um, yeah. about, and also. You can you have your farm, but you're not required to farm. You can kind of do whatever you want with your day, and 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 the game the the season cycles are long enough, but the day cycles are short enough that it's really well balanced to where you can dedicate. Oh, I'm just gonna spend this week fishing or mining or doing it's it's um it's it's very very friendly to any type of player. However you want to do it is the right way. Yeah, because my memories of Harvest Moon games, the early ones, was that if you didn't sort of juggle all those plates spin all those plates i should say <laughs> at the same time and keep everything spinning like everything would come crashing down around you and you could end up with no food no money no wife <laughs> no, <you laughs> yeah, <know>. exactly. <laughs> all this stuff whereas it yeah. sounds like maybe stardew valley is a yeah just like more player friendly in that 2010s kind of way <laughs> yeah absolutely all right well let's uh let's play out with spring the valley comes alive by eric barone or baroni and uh thanks again to brian for joining us Thank you again, Leanne. I appreciate it.